Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to see you again after a one-week hiatus. Mm -hmm. We know all y'all missed us out there. That's right. We're back better than ever, I would say. Oh, absolutely better than ever. And we're also thankful that you all subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so that you, you, you were like, oh, no, where's the show this week? But now you've got it. You know that it's there. And we're here. We're here for you on Road to the Skeleton Coast this week talking about, oh, Calcutta. Oh, shit. Part one. This was a funny one because after, you know, we talked about the new Lawrence Arms record, Skeleton Coast, for the last few weeks. I think every week on the podcast, I assured everyone that we will be talking about O Calcutta at some point. And every week, somebody asked, are you guys still going to talk about O Calcutta? Are you guys still going to talk about O Calcutta? <laughs> yeah, um, it is... Uh... The fucking, of course we are going to talk about El Calcutta. What, are you out of your mind? I mean, fuck. We just, we just have to fucking, you know, you don't give it up on the first date, man. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, and... mean, I don't know if I believe that, but, you know, uh, for this. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, I mean, pro-slutiness. Pro, pro and no matter what your uh, gender is, do you. I love it. Know what you want. Go get it. Be safe, wear a mask, all that stuff. Um, hey, we've got a patron. Yep, glory holes, <laughs> glory mm -hmm. holes with masks. Um, put a glory hole in your mask if you feel like it. That just seems like it defeats the purpose of the mask. Term. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've dated. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> We've got a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich, and we've got all sorts of fun conversations over there, including one with our Philadelphia cheesesteak, our representative of the uh, the Philadelphia sandwiches of the world, and also uh, Panera Bread. Dave Haas was on Better Sandwich this week. You know, we didn't talk to him about if there is a Philly cheesesteak like sandwich at Panera. Oh, I don't, I'm kind of glad we didn't, to be honest. <laughs> Anytime those chains bring up like one of the foods that's just inherently gross, it somehow becomes grosser. I think that's true. Um, yeah, I've never had like a cool cheesesteak, uh, at from like a chain or anything like that I'd, I'd be more willing to go like the direction of steakum uh than to get like a mcdonald's philly cheesesteak <laughs> i mean whenever i find myself in a subway which i think like quarantine's a great reason to just kind of like make your mark on just never going back to a thing like subway but every time i'm there and i see things like a meatball sub and a fucking subway uh-uh uh -uh. Dude, Subway is the grossest. It's the one place that I won't eat. Um, like, if we fucking pull over and there's like a Roy Rogers or something like that, as gross as that is, with all the burgers sitting under the heat lamps at cafeteria style in some like fucking shitty turnpike ass, uh, just hellhole, 
I will eat Roy Rogers because that is the food that's there, you know? <laughs> Subway, I'm like, mm, I'm going to get some fucking almonds, some fuck peanuts from the gas station. That will be my breakfast. <laughs> I'm not eating Subway. Oh, and, so. And, and I, made, I made this proclamation before the pedophilia was uh, <laughs> made public. <laughs> So we had a fun time talking with Dave over on the Patreon. We've, we've had a fun time talking with everybody from Brian Fallon to Matt Allison, Tom May, Chris Number 2. Who am I forgetting, Brendan? Uh, Toby Jegg. Um, Dan Andriano. The Unforgettable um, Ones. God, it, what a real kick in the dick uh, if we're forgetting anyone because this is all like people doing very nice favors. For us and um such as Sam Russo. Sam Russo, yes. He was on here. That's very good. Uh, of all the people that I could possibly forget, he's the only one that probably listens to this. Uh so that's really good. Really good. Yeah, we had we just had Sam Russo on. And he was actually one of my favorite ones. Um I think much like the Dave Haas one is destined to do, mm-hmm. it seems so much like just bullshitting uh with a buddy that I kind of like associated in a different thing other than like, even though like obviously Toby's a bud and Dan, Danny's a bud. I mean, they're all, they're all friends, you know, but mm-hmm. there's a little bit more of a quality of, uh, dissemination of information, you know, going on and like talking about like the sort of state of, of things. Whereas with Dave and with Sam, it was just like, yeah, so cheesesteaks, huh? You know, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you if, if you like that kind of thing, um, you will love our Patreon. Uh, it's it's a lot of you know uh, your very favorite megastars interacting with each other in a natural and candid way. It's really something. It's something that uh, that I get to just kind of sit back, watch, and enjoy. I'm getting so good at not talking during those. It's amazing. It's probably <laughs> the best case scenario for this podcast is Brendan and anybody other than Tim. Well, I am the second best interviewer on this podcast, so... <laughs> oh my goodness well hey i'm excited uh, for this week because this is maybe one of the first times in in a while that actually i feel like i did a little bit more of a of a guided research and get to kind of grill you a little bit as opposed to talking about skeleton coast and just like basking in all of that this is bringing us back into a place where we started and uh you know this podcast started with us talking about greatest story ever told, we sat in the same room back then, mm-hmm. and we left off there with a hanging question that a lot of people have also had about O'Calcutta, and that is the reception of greatest story ever told. So we're going to start with that this week because it's obviously factoring in very significantly to the story that we're telling. So. Let's bring. Let's go back a little bit, Brendan. You finished making greatest story ever told. How are you feeling when that record is coming together in the studio? When it's finished? When you're listening through? We were so proud of that record um, when we finished it. Um, it's just like all the little pieces of it kind of came together in ways that we thought 
seemed very um for us sophisticated um and 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 like kind of nailed everything we were trying to do and listening back to it i mean i remember when we got pete anna in there to sing the um the low part on Ramblin' Boys of Pleasure and then Robbie Kellenberger. Oh, who was also on our Patreon, by That's the way. Right. That's and right. And he also listens favorite. to this. God damn it. Um, God damn it. Well, at least it's, you know, Robbie and Sam know I love them both. So, I mean, you know, fucking leave out someone like Toby, he'd be like, oh, <laughs> but Rob and Sam know I like them. Uh, so at least that's good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, then Robbie came in and sang the high part, mm-hmm. and I just remember being like, holy fuck, I don't believe I'm in the band that gets to put this out. You know, mm-hmm. like, like it, was le- it wasn't like a... There was a sense of pride, but it was also kind of like, uh, if you've ever been a skateboarder and you like tried to do a kickflip down like four stairs and then you land it and you're like, holy shit, that was kind of an accident. But uh, uh-huh. <laughs> holy fuck, it, it worked <laughs> out. You know, it was kind of like that vibe more than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, so, yeah, we were really we were really hyped on the record. And um, and I think just generally we were looking forward to going out there and like whipping everyone's ass with it or whatever. Um, as it happens, things turned out rather differently. <laughs> And uh, uh, at first, people did not really like it, um, and uh, it there was a thing because of like the sort of like super like uh, what's that word? Bifurcated uh, uh-huh. like uh, nature of the album. It felt like when we were playing shows and i mean also this was during a time when we were playing with like a bunch of like pop punk bands and stuff of that nature you know um and emo mm-hmm. bands and and it would be like we'd have like one little blast of like speed and then uh this more somber drawn out thing that in a live setting doesn't always appeal to starting line fans you know uh right and but neither does the fast stuff but we were and then the 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 rest of the catalog we had was sort of like the more like standard fare that was on uh, apathy. And, and I feel like, and I'm projecting here on Chris and Neil, but I feel like Mm -hmm. one of the things that was like making me crazy on those tours was I was like, we are the most whip ass band here. Like we should be able to just like blow all these bands off the stage, but we don't have a collection of songs to do that. Mm. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? It's like alert. The audience is one of my favorite songs I've ever written. Yeah. As one of the fastest, hardest songs in a set list, it is, uh, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's good. But like when people like when like the world is stacked against you, it's like we you know come out there and like pummel the crowd or something like that. You know mm-hmm. was was the idea. It's like we're gonna go out there and fucking blow melt people's faces, and we just didn't have those songs to do that. We didn't have enough of them. I should say. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting. That's an interesting thing. I was thinking about this a, a, in a 
kind of different terms last night and it's it's like greatest story ever told it's interestingly your fourth record um but it's also your second record for fat and in a lot of ways like the asian man catalog for the people who come to your band uh because you're on fat records maybe that asian man catalog doesn't really exist and so in a lot of ways this is your second record for a lot of people it's kind of like it's kind of like if the clash just released london calling first and didn't have like a pre-established like okay the first album and then uh uh give them enough rope like there's tons of fucking punk singles in there so when they start to expand a lot with london calling like they've got people in like their grip already and Mm -hmm. i felt like i was primed for greatest story because i'd been following you for some time but introducing your band with greatest story or it being the follow-up to the first record people are hearing everybody's just got to be so fucking confused and then you're stuck with like oh but you have to like understand the context of this Right. And well, you know, and, and I think a lot, we talked about this before, how I said we were supposed to be an old band, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. when Great Story came out, a lot of people were just like, how dare you? You know, like, <laughs> right. like you're, you're, oh, are you trying to tell me what to read? Mm-hmm. We're like, uh, I don't think we ever said that. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to tell you what to read. Uh, we're just saying this is some of the stuff that like turns us on, you know, and but pe- but it was like seen as like, like sort of like this sophomoric attempt at high art, which um, I don't think it is. I mean, uh, I think that record, I think, still holds up very, very, very well. Um, And uh, and I think history has redeemed it and the context that follows it has redeemed it also, Mm -hmm. you know. But at the time, I think, you know, and this was still back in the days of like real, like sort of like fart sniffing music journalism, where if like you could punk rock for one thing is always like a scarlet letter mm-hmm. you know and the how dare you try to horn in on the idea of like what you know neutral milk hotel and the decemberists are doing by you know being literate you know it, it was just like it mm. was just so ripe for a dunk mm-hmm. from like the fucking shithead uh intelligentsia scene you know right right it's it's like it's like oh look at these kids they're playing with the idea of trying to do something sort of intellectual and we were like yeah we're a fucking punk band man like we're not Uh playing with any ideas of trying to do anything we're just like this is what we do and uh it created a very new kind of us against the world gang mentality that sure. had existed before mm-hmm. and then but this was a this was a whole new thing because we were we were operating on a bigger stage and i mean when even though it was still small in a lot of places i mean we could right you know we could sell our rooms in fucking new york and la and san francisco and denver and Chicago, whatever, you know, Cleveland, but there's a lot of places we go and there would not be people there, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, and those rooms were not big also, 
but you right. know, we we had enough of like a we had enough of a thing that I think we were like, well, I think we're doing something that's cool. Like it, it would we couldn't be beaten down by these opinions. I guess is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And yeah. Instead, we were like, you know, it, it just created a real like sense of unity and purpose in us. I think. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Notably, um, Fat Mike was not so hot on the record. Hated it. Um, I think he's listened to it one time. Um, he uh, the the cover of Greatest Story Ever Told is uh-huh. the reason that now people at Fat Records have to get their covers approved. Uh, <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, because before there was that was like not a thing, mm-hmm. and then Mike saw that, and I think he heard the record and saw the cover, and he was like, "What the fuck is this?" Okay, no, we we just can't let this kind of thing fly anymore. Like we're not, mm-hmm. we can't let another one of these slip through. Basically, um, you know, and I mean, like I've talked to Mike since then, and he has definitely said stuff like, "Yeah, I don't know, I don't like that record, but uh, you know, I, I I can't deny that uh, a lot of people really love it." You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. so, but it doesn't really surprise me that fat Mike doesn't like that record. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really surprise me either. It's interesting that, um, that there hasn't been a, a like come to moment for him, but I guess, I don't know. I I think about the music so differently than he does. It obviously. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, What's he going to do? Go back and put it on just to see what the fuss is about? I mean, like, that seems ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, he's, I think he's got plenty to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it didn't go over big. And, I mean, everybody in Fat hated it, actually. Um, they, they shelved the idea of doing a video. Mm-hmm. We had done the video for porno and snuff films um, on, uh, you know, apathy. And then uh, when, and Mark, who is a, like, who managed the label, called me up. He was like, so got the record. It's a little weird, you know. Mike doesn't really like it that much, but, you know, that don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. But the telephone saw was pretty whip-ass, you know. <laughs> like, right. It was like, it was really like, oh, uh, we've handed in something here that they really are just tolerating. Yeah. You know? So how does that, that just seems to be like such an elephant in the room for y'all. I mean, you are hearing that people don't really like it, but you're also getting like the feedback of like, here's what the record label is deciding to not do on behalf of the record when you're put in that position like how does it how does it affect your relationship or your feelings like towards maybe not like the label itself but just the way that that kind of um like would that affect just the the idea that this organization is like going in the right direction by this organization, do you mean the label or do you mean the Lawrence Arms? The Lawrence Arms. Uh, I think that we felt, we believed in the record. And again, I'm kind of projecting onto Chris and Neil here. But to me, it was very clear that it was like, 
okay, fuck it. You know, we're going to have to show you then, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like you don't want to fucking come along for the ride here. Like we'll pick you up at the next stop or whatever, you know, like, uh, and it was, it, it was just a real confluence of, of that kind of thing that sort of led to the, uh, laboratory, uh, that Ocal Carter was birthed in, you know, like, yeah. um, it, it was, it was a lot of like, it wasn't, it was not, um, uh, I, how do I, how do I say this? We weren't like upset and trying to play catch up. Mm-hmm. We were like, fuck you all. We, we, now we know we're, we're a cool band, you know? Yeah. And if you guys don't realize it, uh, you know, like, but we, like all of a sudden we found our like place of confidence and ironically we found it in like this morass of negativity, but that's like sort of, um, I, it, you know, how, like comedians say that like, you've got a bomb. Kyle Kinane was also on our fucking Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he don't know. listen to this. So I'm not, I'm not worried about <laughs> Kyle. You know, how uh, comedians say you've got a bomb a lot before you uh-huh. can get good. Uh-huh. This was sort of that a little bit. And it, it, it's, it's funny because now this is a very beloved record. I mean, a lot of people would say, I mean, there's a good chunk of people that would say greatest story ever told is our best record. Um, but at the time it kind of was a bit of a lead balloon and, uh, and it was like that bombing was something that we were like, Oh, well, you're all just wrong. <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, like we, uh, we found our confidence by making that record and learning what we were kind of capable of and then seeing the response to it and being like, Oh no, we're not listening to you. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that would be ridiculous. But there's, but there's things that like, I, we want to tinker with, you know? Totally. You know, it's interesting that you bring up neutral milk hotel. I don't know if that's, um, a record that you like, or if it's just the kind of, uh, example of plate reference. Totally. Um, it's it is a funny reference though because I think I think I got into that record at around the same time I got into Greatest Story, and just having those two CDs in my car and the covers being so similar, and then seeing the storytelling aspects that were happening on Greatest Story, along with what was happening on in the aeroplane over the sea. Um, it totally made sense in my brain that like, oh damn, this is this is a punk band that's kind of like stepping out. And I bring this up not just to plug Life's Work, a podcast about Laura Stevenson's Sit Resist, which is on right now, but that's another record that was made by a bunch of punks that uh really like were doing something that was sonically a little bit different from punk, and it was totally ignored by the indie rock, you know, settlement. Uh, in Brooklyn and all that. But all of the punks that were hearing it were just like, oh, cool. I like that Neutral Milk Hotel record, too. Like, there's no division there. Right. Right. Well, I mean, like, that's, you know, uh, there's a lot of problems with the entire, like, culture of punk rock. Um, The Mm -hmm. idea of being like, what you... The idea of being snooty is not usually one of them. I mean, it can be. It is that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I suppose, but uh, it's not the same as like the indie rock sort of scene. You know, I mean, like, that, right. I guess that's all I'm really getting at. Um, mm-hmm. Because punk rock can be very snooty and very elitist and fucking obnoxious. But um, fortunately... I just like the idea that it's, like, bridging that gap a little bit, you know? That it's it's stepping out. And it's not even that there was a restriction there. It's just something that, like, wasn't being done with these types of sonics. And the idea that... Uh, like a a sound the idea that like a subgenre is somehow like limiting in like what you know what topics can be discussed in a song is or the way really you can silly. like structure an album throughout mm-hmm. something like that you know it's like oh how dare you think that this is a thematic record it's like well, i don't know i mean i was one of the guys who wrote it <laughs> you know uh, I'm, like uh, get the fuck out of here with that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah. So when we talk about like those tours that were happening, you know, starting line, yellow card, um, I think also a big part of, of Post's greatest story was the fact that those songs are also, you know, they don't they didn't necessarily translate too well into a live setting right away. They didn't translate too well into that live setting. Mm-hmm. For sure, you know, um, it, it was a slow burn, and I mean, like, I'd say the same, th- like, the exact same reception occurred for the live songs and the album. You know, mm-hmm. it was like I, I don't know what to make of this. Some of it's really fast, some of it's really slow. A lot of it's bizarre. Um, you know, like, uh, eh. like I, I don't have time for this. You know, right. where's where's the next fucking uh, fucking Good Riddance album? Where's the next Neutral Milk Hotel album? Where's the mm-hmm. next Starting Line <laughs> album? You know, mm-hmm. like like it, it. So it was like sort of summarily dismissed. Um, I think because it did like fall into that precipice, like or the the crevice between those kind of like genres or whatever. And, um, it, uh, yeah, but again, that, that was what had to happen, man. That, Mm -hmm. that, that, and it, and it, it ended up being like great, great fuel for us. So I, I feel like there's always, when you speak about Chris and Neil, there's always like a bit of, uh, kind of an inherent responsibility that you, you make these faces sometimes when I'm talking to you and I'm just like, what are you? What? What am I saying? What? what are you oh doing? no! 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 I'm just, <laughs> just like trying to keep my face stretched out or something. I'm not. I'm. You're. 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 You're good. I'm. 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 Don't. Don't ever look at me. That's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I feel like there's an inherent responsibility that you feel towards Chris and Neil. You know, there there's a little bit of like a you're not maybe the the captain of the ship, but you are kind of the one that that dragged them all into this thing. Do you feel like you you were maybe not shouldering a burden that you kind of had to like you know speak directly towards? But were you feeling like a sense of responsibility towards like man, this shit is uh, here we are. Like, am I two friends? 
No, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, we came into that record as, like, sort of, as a real, like, triad. I mean, like, you know, Chris was responsible for more minutes on Greatest Story than I am. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, same amount of songs. Very similar to Skeleton Coast in that way. Equal Mm -hmm. amount of songs, but Chris's songs are just longer. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and so, I mean, I didn't control the narrative enough that I felt a personal responsibility towards the two of them beyond the personal responsibility that I felt in terms of being a member of this gang, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, uh, we, okay, that's what we did. How are we, you know, what are we going to do? And when like the, there's never like a, I have done a few like unilateral moves in this band um, here and there, but that's not really the way we operate. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just because like, you know, I, I do the accounting. I talk to the booking agent. I, I fucking talk to the labels, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes like things just have to move fast and I have to go like, okay, we'll do this or we're not going to do that or whatever. And I don't check in with them. But usually, I mean, we're a decision making team. Always. Mm -hmm. And so, like, no, I didn't feel any personal responsibility about, like, having dragged them into this thing. If anything, I think, again, like, we didn't feel bad about Greatest Story Ever Told. Like, we, you know, like, we didn't mind that people hated it. We kind of, it it was like, we got our groove at that point. We were like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, fuck, fuck these people, you know? Yeah. And it, 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 like, really brought us together as a team. Um Probably more than anything that we've ever done. That's awesome. It's it's crazy, too, I guess, to think about, like, how much time has passed and how, you know, after four records, it's sort of... I, I feel like there's maybe a tension that is, like, you know, it's either we got we to gotta get this done or we got to, like, you know, reach some sort of level or else what are we doing here? We always going to be the opening band that, you know, can maybe do well in big cities outside of right. our own. I think that that was a reality that we were kind of grappling with. But I think that the it would be disingenuous for me to say that that wasn't a reality. Like, we, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like. You know, we've we said it before where it's kind of just kind of like, uh, what do I do now? It's too late for me to learn to do another thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this, this is my career, whether I like it or not. Um, you know, can we, can we, but I mean, that's never, that's never driven us. You know what I mean? Like the motivation right. to play to like bigger crowds or sell more records has never been a thing that I don't think we have ever discussed that at all. You know, I like Mm -hmm. I really honestly don't think that Chris and Neil and I in any iteration have ever been like, well, you know, it'd be nice to play some bigger shows. I mean, I think we've probably been like, hey, you know, it'd be cool. There's some people here uh, (laughs) in this basement in Pocatello, Idaho. Uh, It would be nice if somebody walked in the door, you know, or like when we played, Uh we played uh, actually on this fucking tour that we're talking about. 
and I think I've told this story before too, and it sucks that I'm running out of stories or whatever. The but, Take uh, It Back Sunday story? No, 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 oh. no, no. Um, this is, uh, we played in Florida, and there was fucking one guy at the show. We opened up with, uh, on with the show. Uh huh. That song is a minute and 50 seconds long. Yeah. The dude left before we were done <laughs> with that song. And uh, then the sound guy just gives us the, like, keep going, because he had to get paid. So we had right. to play this show just for the sound guy. Uh, <laughs> no you didn't crowd. tell that story. Holy shit. That's <laughs> wild. No audience at all. Yeah. Ah. Was- so there's something that you said um, a little while back, and we we haven't talked about God Don't Make trash so i don't want to get too far into the origin story but um you did talk about the falcon being you know a helpful piece to making another lawrence arms record yeah i mean i think was god don't make no trash came out before calcutta is that Mm -hmm. yeah it did right um yeah, so we were on this long-ass tour in Europe, and I was actually about to bring this up, because those those are demoralizing, um, particularly mm. if you're the Lawrence Arms. It's like any little bit of juice that you have in the States, you go to places where like English isn't somebody's first language, and they're like, mm, hmm. I don't see what is so big a deal about this band. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, yeah, I know, I get it. Um we're not even a big deal. It's a thing. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of people don't. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, but uh but but we were sharing a bus with Rise Against and uh and Todd from Rise Against was just such a fucking whip ass guitar player and like I've said whip ass three times now since uh this podcast has started uh today. <laughs> um but he was just so good and his like energy was so like pure and trashy and like like i mean he was he was a dude that had been straight edge and he just kind of like dipped his toes into drinking so i don't mean he was trashy and like a mm-hmm. you know like guns you? and roses kind of way i just uh-huh. mean the way he played like the, his haircut and like his just style in general and i was like kind of like fell in love with him immediately i was like i want to be in a band with that dude and i want to call it something like the falcon because like that's the bombast that i fucking am looking for here you Mm -hmm. know and uh we ended up doing that record and we'll talk about that another day but um it definitely opened my mind to what i wanted you Mm -hmm. know and to the things that, it, to me, were missing from the Lawrence Arms live catalog. I don't, I'm not saying that there were shortcomings there, but I'm saying that, that you know, like if you've got a fucking, you got a beautiful house, but it's got an unfinished attic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your whole house can be great, and then you finish the attic and it becomes better. It like gave me the mm-hmm. motivation to, to think about finishing the attic in my head, you know, and, and like, and again, I wasn't like a spearheader of this whole operation or anything like that, but just, um, but yeah, it like, 
definitely opened up my mind to like, you know, once, once you do the Falcon, which is mm-hmm. like a band that's by design, just supposed to be rowdy and reckless and like, you know, Todd Money in band form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've done greatest story ever told, which is what it is. Mm-hmm. And you go, we can do both of these things at the same time, you know, yeah. with a very specific filter to make sure it's like its own thing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that, that was, that was a huge, that was a huge thing for sure. So how does, cause greatest story is obviously it's very conceptual, but I think people might be surprised to hear that Oh, Calcutta was much more of a concept from day one, as opposed to greatest story, which was kind of, Oh, I think we have something that we could gel together into sort of mm-hmm. a narrative. Yeah. With, with greatest, with, when we were done or at some point during the, like the greatest story stuff, Chris and I started talking about, you know, a new record, like, Hey, we should, you know, probably think about writing songs for a new record. And maybe we'd even like demoed a song or two, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember we were sitting somewhere and I've, I've said this, but we, we were sitting maybe at a bar, maybe at my house or I don't, I don't know where we were, but I was like, I will, we came, we came to the conclusion. We were like, what do we want to hear? And we were like, well, music spoke to us the most when we were like 16, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like this, this collection of records that we had, was so important to us. These Naked Ray Gun records, these Minor Threat records, these Bad Religion mm-hmm. records, these No Effects records, these Jawbreaker records, the, you know, 15 records, Propagandy records, No Means No records, Operation Ivy records, Rancid records. What is the record that is not in that catalog that would blow our fucking minds and be the best record in the whole catalog? Mm-hmm. Let's write that fucking record. And let's just unapologetically fucking reference everything from that time that we love. And let's fucking, you know, we can make the coolest punk record that we'd ever want to hear, you know? And that uh-huh. was what, like the where we came out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And then... Very soon after that, it might have even been the same conversation. We were like, hey, you know what we should do? We should fucking sing everything together. We should sing every mm-hmm. line at the same time because it is us against the world. We've just seen that out there, mm-hmm. you know? And we've just done a thing that's like very, uh, you know, polar um, in terms of sound and um helmsmanship or whatever you want to say (laughs) yeah um and and like how about fuck that let's 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 not do that this time we've we've done that so how about everything together all for one one for all fuck literally anybody this is a quote from that conversation 
I want to make a record that we can stuff up Dillinger 4 and against me and Hot Water Music's ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, uh, yeah. And, like, I love, That's... love all three of those bands. Yep, yep. Um, that is not intended as disrespect to them, but, like, I think that's like where we we were coming from, we were like, these are three bands that are very similar to us in certain ways, and like I said, we just didn't have quite the collection of songs to do that sort of like bombastic thing on stage, and we were like, we've got the we've got the actual secret here, man. Um, mm-hmm. Like we could we could do this, and like we could fucking put out the record of this style of music um because we know something they don't we've been like training at altitude doing all this weird shit and so let's let's fucking come back down to sea level and fucking murder these cucarachas you know (laughs) i love that i love that because it's you're right it's not disrespect in fact it's like the ultimate sign of respect is you you see where they're all at you're in admiration of them you want to be better than them. If you don't want to be better than your favorite bands, then you're kind of always going to be uh, working with the ceiling. Yeah, well, you know, um, here's one of our little um, sidebars called Beeks's How Art Should Be uh, Corner. Right. Cueing uh, up some, uh, some <laughs> background music. Perfect. All right. Um if whatever you're doing, whether you're fucking podcasting or whether you're fucking playing in a band or painting or being a stand-up comedian or being an author or whatever, if you're doing art, an actor, you should strive to be the best. Your competition should be like, you want to be an actor? Your competition is fucking Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? Like you, you put yourself up against, you know, it's not like, oh, I want to be the best in this little scene. It's like, you, that's not, hey, Jesus Christ, kid, get a new fucking set of dreams. You know, uh, it's uh, <laughs> um, like, it It should always be your goal to be the very best of the very best. And, uh, you know, obviously, there can only be one Kanye. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, Man, you're you're knocking them out the park with these uh, examples. Yeah, yeah Tom exactly. Cruise, Kanye West. You, you yeah, wanna... <laughs> so, um, yeah, like you know, if you if you want to be a pope, you should be um, Benedict Five. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, want to be a, if you want to be a guy who sells sandwiches, you should try and be Jared from Subway. I get you. I get yeah, you. No, no, no. But I mean, it, well, the reason I use Tom Cruise as an example is because like people are like, I want to be the best in this improv trooper. I want to like be the best performer in this indie film or whatever. And it's like, no, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You should strive to be the best. Like Daniel Day Lewis, you know, mm-hmm. fucking blow him out of the water, you know. And will you get there, listener? You will not. Um, almost all of you are terrible at what you do, um, <laughs> as am I. But uh, the thing is, 
you don't get to any level of competence and success without aiming as absolutely high as you can, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so it's like, if let's say you are in a terrible fucking, uh, improv troupe and your goal is to be the best improv troupe in all of Madison. Um, that's fine. Um, but if your goal is to be, uh, better than, you know, upright citizens brigade, the, the trajectory will just take you farther. Totally. Whether you ever make it there or not, by working towards the the farthest goal possible, mm -hmm. you you will achieve more. That's all. This has been Brendan's How Art Should Be Corner. Now it's time for Tim Talks About Wrestling as a Metaphor. They always say, if you're not in this business to be the champion, then there's the door. Right. So, Which is ironic in wrestling since people sign on with the understanding that there's no chance they will ever be champion. Um, and then they get brought back as a like retrofitted character that works better, who's also never going to be champion. But it's like, oh, you know, we loved watching Hillbilly Jim get his ass kicked, but now here comes the mad trucker, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's like, ah, oh, that guy looks a lot like Hillbilly Jim. <laughs> well, someone's got to go on second. I don't know what to tell you. It can't all be the main event. Um, it's it's a funny thing though because I think that there is just an inherent uh, people who scoff at the at the notion that bands are trying to compete with each other because that would you know somehow create uh, less of a sense of community or they're you know they're only working for themselves when in fact I think working hard or trying to be the best is just a matter of it's going to elevate everything else that's around you, kind of like those bands did for you. Yeah, and I mean like. You know, thank God there's Dillinger Fours and Hot Water Music's and Against Me's for me to sit there and, like, take notes and be like, okay, okay. You know, like, wow, that's really powerful. And it's not to say, um, I mean, those, those bands all, well, I mean, Against Me and Hot Water Music maybe is an exception, but they're so different. Um, mm -hmm. They all grew up in a silo. You know what I mean? Like, the fact right. that there's somehow been, like, a... Um, that we've been grouped together has everything to do with parallel path thinking, you know? I mean, like mm -hmm. I've ripped off a lot of things. I'm pretty unapologetic about it. I have never, well, that's not true. Um, I, I don't feel like I lean on against me, hot water music or Dillinger Four. there are certain things that I end up doing on actually on O'Calcutta as like a slight homage, but it's also kind of like a, I see you motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's not so much like, it's not so much. Uh, I mean, I, I just might as well bring this up now yeah. because like, we'll probably skip over it when we go to the track by track or whatever. And then I'll feel bad about it. But in, um, but it's like trusty chords, such a great song. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? And, uh, you know, Hey, 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 hey. Mm -hmm. And then uh Aeroplane, in fucking in, in Margaret, you know, I just put that in there to be like, Oh, you thought you you thought you had the fucking song of the summer, motherfuckers? How about this? Oh <laughs> you know <laughs> And um Yeah. And I mean, you know, in that song I fucking steal directly from uh 
Alkaline Trio, Warbrain, and Nine One One for Peace by Anti Flag. But wait, what do you take from Warbrain? The guitar line? Yeah, and Genenet, Genenet. I mean, everything. Yeah, and all three of those songs are the fucking same. I mean, I know, love it. So, so. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's something, too, that's kind of great about O Calcutta is the fact that um, Greatest Story was so ethereal, and O Calcutta is the Chicago record that you made. Did you, was it was it just that you were 16 and you were in Chicago, so it's like, let's make this as much about Chicago as possible, or? We were all living in Chicago, um... And, you know, it was our clubhouse, right? Mm-hmm. We go on tour. We'd be touring on Greatest Story Records. We'd be listening to early demos of uh, some of the early songs, which was like those demos that never got that, – that just came out on We Are the Champions of the World. Mm-hmm. Those were all in the early stuff. And then the only songs I had – on the early stuff, I believe, like a record player and uh, Jumping the Shark, Jumping the Shark. I had those two songs. And then, like, that catalog song, and which was on the greatest, or We Are the Champions of the World. Mm-hmm. Rabbit and the Rooster. And Rabbit and the Rooster actually was one of the earlier ones, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we... So we'd go out and we'd listen to these and we'd be like, yeah, cool. And then we'd talk more about what we wanted to do and how, what we wanted the sound to ultimately be. And I think we kind of came back from tour, kind of scrapped all that shit, more or less, with a couple of exceptions, like a record player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, Rabbit and the Rooster was going to go on the record till the very last minute. But, uh, but then I went to Matt Skiba's bachelor party and I snapped my kneecap in half. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a fucking drag. Yeah. Um, I ended up in a, it was just like a freak fall. Uh, Fat Mike was in the room and he was like, dude, you fucked yourself up. I'm like, I'm fine. You know? And he's like, mm, I think you're going to have to go to the hospital. And that would be a whole two hour story. Um, just about breaking my knee, but suffice it to say, I ended up with a, a cast on my leg, a hard plaster cast mm-hmm. that went from below my ankle to like above my nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus, I mean to the side. Okay, okay, okay. Nuts not included in the cast. <laughs> um, <laughs> a picture, but, uh, just like a like a like a diaper to yeah, belong dangling uh-huh. nutsack hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Butthole in the back. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, having just get my wife to sponge down my stained cast every day. Uh-huh. Um, no, <laughs> fortunately that was not the case. But um, but I was fucking angry at mm. that point. We had this fucking already had this gang thing going on. We already knew what was fucking up with what the record was going to be. Then I break my knee. I end up in this fucking cast. And I mean, for a while I was just like, I mean, 
when I got home, there was two couches in our living room and I like gingerly laid on one. My wife sat down on the other one and the vibrations through the floor were so painful to me that I threw up. Oh, fuck. Uh, so like, so it was unbearably shitty. I couldn't uh-huh. sleep. I couldn't take showers. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, once I got like sort of like off the the pills that they gave me for that, which wasn't like I'm not a big pills guy. Um, yeah, like, for sure. They they kind of they they gave me it was like uh, I think they gave me like ten oxycontins, which mm-hmm. now in hindsight, really that's that's like three days of pain management for a fucking snapped patella. Mm-hmm. Pretty fucked up. Uh, probably could have used more, but. Here I am. You not probably to right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, you know. So, um, how long were you like out? I'm just like having flashbacks from my surgery last year, where I was pretty much out of commission for a month. This is the most depressed I've ever been. Um, I absolutely. Well, I was in the cast for nine months. And, um, and, uh, I could, after probably a month or so, I could like start moving around, but I mean, I had a fucking cast that went all the way up my leg. So it was not like, there wasn't a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I couldn't go to the bar. It would just be like, yeah, like my leg up. On right. <laughs> you know, like, or, or do, I couldn't do anything. I mean, couldn't take the dogs yeah, was, for a walk and like go to the park. <laughs> no, there's, no, there was nothing. There was nothing. There's nothing. Um, it was a lot of sitting there, and it turned into a lot of writing. And uh-huh. like, as soon as like I, like I said, as soon as I stopped taking those pills and like my brain came back, I was just furious. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. like at life. You know, and. The first day I wrote Cut It Up, Recover, and Devil's Taken Names. Jesus. And that was like, would like end up sort of setting the stage. And then like I sent those to Chris and he was like, oh my. And then he set, came back with Great Lakes, Great Escape. So I was like, holy shit. All right, we got, we got a thing going on here. Yeah. You know? And uh, first four songs of the record. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Now I'm thinking about like what the relationship oh, no. is between those two, or those four. I, I, you, you know, I, I'm wrong though. Devil's Taking mm-hmm. Names is the last song I wrote on the record. I, okay, Key to the City was the one I wrote that day. Oh, was, okay. Shit. All right. All right. And so was the was the vocal thing already there? Because I think that's a track that is like so. It's so fucking aided by the fact that you have Chris singing. You singing, you're on top, and then especially that second verse where Chris just sets you up for the best oh. fucking drop that you ever do. <laughs> um, that uh, that would all come together when we started rehearsing the record. Um, it was really interesting that you can see. There's one of the pictures in the "We Are the Champions of the World" um, and the picture inside of um Okakata itself mm-hmm. um 
in both of those pictures, I'm in a full leg cast. Um, we got home from tour and we started rehearsing and, and we rehearsed in the room above a pet groomers. Uh huh. Um, it was a unseasonably hot summer. Um, there Perfect were no windows cast. In, the, in the entire building. Uh huh. In the entire building, I had a full leg cast. And um, what we decided to do is we took like butcher paper. Mm-hmm. Me and Chris each wrote all our lyrics. You can see this in those pictures if you look. Yeah. We wrote all the lyrics, and I put up all the lyrics to my songs behind me, and he put up all the lyrics to his songs behind him so we could sing them together. From the beginning, that's really cool. You know, yeah, and and um, and it's just like as soon as we started that, we were like, "Fuck yeah!" Like we're we're onto something here, you know. And it was like it was really motivating and great. And I went to the doctor to get my cast off, and they fucking sawed it off. And I saw like the twenty seven staples in my knee. Uh-huh. Cut all those out. They were like, "Have you ever had staples?" gotten out before i was like no they're like you know what to do i'm like no they're like just don't look at it i was like that's your advice okay yeah this was a really important conversation that we just had uh <laughs> and uh and i got the staples out and i was like wow my knee still looks like very like uh vulvic you know it <laughs> 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 uh Still really looks like a pussy down there. I don't know that I'm, like, really comfortable, like, bending my knee or anything. And they're like, oh, heavens no. We're putting a new cast on you. And I was like, oh. Like, I was like, I'm so excited to get my cast off. And Chris dropped me off, waited around, picked me up down at downtown. And um, and I come out with a cast. He's like, what's up? I'm like, I don't even want to talk about it. Like, <laughs> I'm so bummed. But, um. But yeah, throughout that whole thing, it was really motivating to have that sort of outlet, even as like sweaty and gross as it was and how much it smelled like dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like it felt like doing like a real like like uh, it, like some sort of like movie montage or something almost, you know, where it was like, man, right. we're really working against all the odds here. Mm-hmm. This is going to be fucking whip ass either way. Four. Four whip asses. <laughs> So I feel like it's an interesting thing to take into account, too, that you have, especially talking about this experience of like, we're we're a good band. We just don't have like the um, we don't have the songs for just like the, you know, presentation, the live setting. But Cocktails and Dreams comes out. And I feel like that uh, release really put everything that had come before fat into such a new perspective where it's like shit, there's like six, seven, eight singles on this record. Yeah, I mean, it, well, that that was sort of the thing that I don't, it was maybe, uh, there's just, in terms of like our catalog started to expand to a point where um, there was a preponderance of the stuff we wanted to play, which happened to be later, and some of it was like, you know, like we talked about on the apathy episode, like, you know, if we want like a like a heater coming out, it's like we've got like fucking navigating the windward passage, which doesn't really go over very well in a live setting. Mm-hmm. So it was like we didn't we had fast songs that weren't really they they didn't they didn't work in that in that sort of for what we needed. 
you know, I mean, navigating the windward passage and uh, your gravest words basically play the same in terms mm-hmm. of like the audience response, mm-hmm. um, you know, and um, so those old songs, it was like we'd try to put some of those in, but it's like it's point we had two full lengths. Those are what people knew, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, yeah, let's put 100 resolutions in there. Let's put quintuple your money in there. Every once in a while, let's put uh, fucking Pensacola Wings of Gold in there, you know, and. Yeah, I mean, that EP, basically. <laughs> and, and, you know, like... <laughs> right. Uh, you know, um, Stranger's Floor and, uh, you know, still Turnstiles and um, uh, A Toast. Mm-hmm. And, but we couldn't play all those. We right. still had to, like, be true to our newer catalog. And it was just like there wasn't... There just wasn't enough muscle... Um, in my opinion, I, I don't know how those guys felt about it, but mm-hmm. obviously I think they must've noticed at some point because we ended up making no Calcutta after that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, so, so yeah, but it was really, it was really, it was a really cool experience and, um, to just that, that rehearsing and putting all those, all those songs together. And yeah, I think there was only there's those there's those demo songs and we knew right away that those weren't going to be on the record except for rabbit and the rooster which we recorded and that was on instead of key to the city Mm -hmm. um and then once key to the city came out and maybe it had to do with that like vocal back but i mean we did we did that in, in the practice space i think it just turned out better not better it was more in line with what the record's vibe was totally sort of like i mean there's a there's an argument to be made that that could be like the mission statement of the whole fucking record uh, honestly i think so that's you know that song is like it it really does like put everything kind of into uh one track and i think that you know it reminds me of experiences that you were talking about recording skeleton coast where certain things were popping a little bit more when you're recording them in the studio um yeah, I'm I'm glad that Key to the City is on there. But you know, one of the things that I really really like about this record that I feel is always been I've always felt it to be super intentional. There's really not a lot of repeating parts on this record even though you do have choruses like Devil's Taking Name is a really good example. Um you don't come back to that chorus and do it the same way the second time. Cut it up, you know, you go through one uh, round of cut it up and then you're saying it again and again and again the second time it's um right right it's a little bit more like you, if you do repeat parts you make sure to do them differently yeah um and that i think that was born out of the a sort of um I, I this is very unspoken and i guess i'm again projecting but we learned a lot of that doing this record and just like having as much fun as we could. And, and, um, like after making greatest story, I think we felt that we could do whatever we wanted, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just like, Oh, you know what? Let's fucking build a little something here. You know, let's like, let's make this a little different. Let's put these fucking woes at the end of this mm-hmm. fucking song. You know, that would be cool. And I mean, that's something that served us. I mean, we, we've gone on since then. That's like in, uh, Metropole and Skeleton Coast for sure. It's like, it's like okay, 
you know, like in like last last words, Chris was singing both of them the same way, and then he sang one down at one point mm-hmm. in, in like one of his takes, and I was like, "Oh, you should do that one time." do it down then up and then the next time do it up then down maybe mm-hmm. you know and you know and like but those are the kinds of things that like we definitely nitpick over yeah that seems like it's i mean it seems like the whole energy of this record is just like so you're having so much fun and it's like fitting in as much as you can so it's like if there's a repeated part like why not take the opportunity to make it a little bit de- a little bit better a little bit different um just give it like something else for people to latch on to yeah i i think it's just also just like the yeah, there's like a real playfulness with the parts, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, this part is cool. Could it be cool like this too? Uh-huh. You know? And it's like, who who knows if that's fucking better or not or whatever. But, you know, these this record is all about the, the Nuggets, man. You know, have we talked about the Nuggets? We haven't talked about um, the Nuggets. Uh, every great song needs a nugget that's it um it's the one part that like transcends everything and makes the song go to the next fucking level and uh-huh. we talk about this i mean in, in the lawrence arms chris and i talk about it all the time and and neil as well and matt allison we talk about the nugget all the time and you know the one that i think is really obvious is that uh jesus saves gretzky scores in that uh-huh. propaganda song yeah right because that whole song is like it, it's just like you know like there's like not a lot of melody to it and it's uh-huh. just like and it's like jesus saves gretzky scores and you're like okay this song rules <laughs> <laughs> you know and and it's like and that and that's and it really is that simple it's like all you need is the one part right and um mm-hmm. uh and that's what i mean this record if you if you dig into it, I mean, that's what this record's all about. It's <laughs> like, it's like the, you know, it's like here, here's a here's a chorus that does its job. Mm-hmm. Here's a fucking verse that does its job. Here's an instrumental part that does its job. But here's this one thing that, like, you listen to the whole song to hear. All right, so, so yeah, so you have these songs, you have this concept. Um, did you uh did you go straight in with matt or were you demoing we did demos and you know i know that in our little pre-production meeting i said that we demoed with matt but as i think back about it maybe it was yates who was doing most of the like manning of the controls uh-huh. it might, no it might have been pre-yates i don't know that's a long time ago for such a young buck but uh <laughs> oh you did do them with yates Looking at We Are the we Champions, yeah. Catalog, Black okay. Snow, Laugh Out Loud, did those with Yates. Yes, so from that session, we did every song on No Calcutta as well. Uh-huh. Um, so every single one of the songs that ended up on the record and Rabbit and the Rooster was demoed in that same... Uh, I mean, they sound like demos. They're they're good-sounding demos that were done mm-hmm. at Atlas, but they were we did them all in a day. You know, I, it was... Very guided tour of Chicago esque in terms of the approach we took. Yeah. Um and uh 
I remember that we we did them and uh, Matt Allison. We were at the bar afterwards, and at this point, my cast was off. Mm-hmm. So what we were doing was we were going to rehearse, we were going to the studio, and we were going to the bar, and we were rolling around. I mean, like a like all on our bikes, just like a fucking street gang. It mm-hmm. was like. And, you know, like, every day we'd come into the fucking studio. Like, this was... I'm skipping ahead a little here. But we'd, we'd come into the studio just, like, hung over because we'd just been having so much fun from, like, all the kick-ass shit we had done the night before. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, fucking two hours into it, we'd have, like, new kick-ass shit. And, like, our endorphins would, like, start popping. And it would be like, woo! But, uh, but anyway... Um, during these demo sessions, we go to the bar, and Matt's like, "You know, I don't, I don't know if you guys need to really sing every word together. Uh-huh. You know, I think that might be a little bit of overkill." And I was like, "No, that's the idea of the record. Um, if you don't think that that's the way it should be, we should record this with someone else." Because that's what we're like. That's specifically what this record is about. It's mm-hmm. about our voices together as this gang. You know, um, a response to the sort of uh, haterism around uh, "Greatest Story Ever Told." I suppose, in hindsight, that was probably a factor. Mm-hmm. But truly, at the time, it was just like we. I don't think we. I, I I definitely didn't consciously notice like oh everybody hates us so now we're closer than ever you know it was more like yo me and my boys are fucking doing the shit right now mm-hmm. you know and when and once like Chris and I came up with this idea is like we'll sing everything together it will be like you know just both our voices for everything gone our. Brendan songs gone or Chris songs, you know, up, up next to the Lawrence arms. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and it was like so exciting and like freeing to do something that like, I mean, what singing in tandem is like the Leuven brothers have been doing it since like <laughs> fucking 1902. Uh-huh. But like, uh, that's a little early, but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, the Leuven you know, brothers, uh, crossover that we have on this podcast is not happy right now with you getting that fact wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they started in like what, like 19, uh, probably 26. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, something like that. Totally. Anyway, um, but, but for our little like neck of the woods, it seemed like a pretty like different thing to do, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and also, Buzz by Fifteen, they do that. Mm. It's the the two guys sing everything, but it doesn't seem as noticeable because their voices are both so bad, um, and uh-huh. it's like they're just like completely out of tune in weird ways. I don't know, but uh, I mean that was definitely an influencing factor in that. But so we were so excited about that aspect of it as much as anything, mm-hmm. and. When Matt's like, I don't know if you guys need to sing it all together. We were like, um, no, that's the entire point of doing this is to, that we all that we sing it all together. Like, and then he was like, whoa, 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 slow down, man. I, I'm not saying I'm not down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which, thank God, he was down because um, 
you know, it, at that point, he made some preparations for us to go into the studio based on these demos and based on, like, I think probably, like, the verve of us being so, like, locked into a vision, mm-hmm. you know? He was like, you know what? Great. I want to – how about we do this on two-inch tape, right? Mm-hmm. Which two-inch tape is um, a very old recording medium. Um, at the time, Pro Tools was just coming into being and ADAT was kind of on its way out. But two-inch tape is like – like I don't know this for sure, but I bet Exile on Main Street was recorded on two-inch tape. Sure, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was – it was like the gold standard back in the day. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, so like, so Matt like started like pulling together this, that like he had to, you know, rent a tape machine and go out and find this tape, which was not easy to do in the dawn of the digital age or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think our, uh, budget started to <laughs> swell, you know? And so we, uh, we sent the demos to Fat, mm-hmm. and they were like, I mean, Mike's like, holy shit, I was ready to write you guys off after that last record, but this shit is great. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> you know? And, uh, That's even better than him, like, coming around to create a story, is being like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, it, it, it really was. Um, I mean, at this point... If you can imagine, I mean, like, there is, like, I think, uh, again, it's hard for me to say, but, like, if I was going to describe, like, the vibe of O'Calcutta, I would say it's almost just, like, not a loner, because it's obviously a a gang, Mm -hmm. but it's, like, a gang of marginalized people's, like, hard swagger into that Mm -hmm. you know and there was a lot of like confidence that started building as like matt allison's renting a tape machine fat mike's like ah you know what i thought this was gonna suck but it's great you know and uh and like all this kind of stuff and it uh i mean obviously it like shines through on the on the recording when we finally went in there to record but uh you know the I don't know. It was really, it was like really an intoxicating time in terms of how much alcohol we drank. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, um, I mean, you can hear no. it in the lyrics too. Cause I, I feel like you're especially like walking with a swagger on this one. It is, it just like bursts in the door and is like, fuck you, fuck you. I'm on this shit. Yeah, and I mean, and that that was the idea. It was supposed to be sort of like a relentless pummeling a little bit. I mean, it's like, what's the fucking, the, what's the ballad on this? Fucking Jump in the Shark? That song is uh-huh. like ragged as shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guess I guess the Warp Tour song, which, you know, uh, well, so we demoed that also, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, but then we actually recorded that both ways um, mm-hmm. at the end. I suppose that's more for the track by track. But, uh, but like, you know, that was not intended to be a battle. That was intended to be very, very fast, as, as it appears on uh, We Are the Champions of the World. You know, I think that 
the Warp Tour song is mm. actually a really good place for us to to leave, I think, on this week before we get into the record itself. Let's treat the Warp oh. Tour song separately. Okay. Yeah. Um because I think it says a lot about everything that went into this record. You were able to put it into a story. Um that yeah it's specifically about this one thing but it's also like your band for the past five years i have like literally goosebumps because you're so fucking right about Mm. this song being like the actual mission statement of this record in a weird way not the heart and soul of it like you know maybe great lakes great escapes is not the fucking uh the forward-facing um, face of it, like maybe Key to the City is, even though that's not like one of the most popular songs or whatever. Not like the aggressive um, id of it, which is Recover, right? Um, mm-hmm. But this song is spells out what you just heard. <laughs> right. <laughs> it really does. And like, if you start at the beginning, the first line is, it's burning a fire inside, I just don't believe, mm-hmm. right? And um, so that's a reference to a band, a Warp Tour band, uh-huh. called AFI. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and uh, their acronym fleshed out as a fire inside, which is interesting because when I was in Berkeley, when I was 18, on a slapstick tour... Mm-hmm. And I got my crimp shrine tattoo on my leg. I was talking to this dude, and he's like, Oh, you're in a punk band? Cool. Uh, you probably know my bros. They're a band called AFI. I was like, Never heard of them. Uh, what's AFI stand for? He's like, All for it. So um, <laughs> I have heard from <laughs> sources. Uh, that 25 years ago uh-huh. that, that shit used to be some like bro ass shit <laughs> and it, it, it just seemed like such a perfect way to open this song right mm-hmm. like it's burning a fire inside that I just don't believe it's like you're still a bro under all that fucking parasol and uh, <laughs> mascara you know um, mm-hmm. and um, and then and then it kind of goes on a little bit right uh what is it? It's like uh, some call it anger and frustration, which is just my take on uh, monetizing the, the dumb notion of um, uh, all of that band shell punk rock, right? You know, uh-huh. um, um, and the circus left without us is at once a reference to Great Story Ever Told and also to the Warp Tour itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the fringe being the center is just open mockery of the idea that there's anything punk rock about this festival, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I know that you're just like, seriously, are you going through this line by line? No, I'm not. But <laughs> No, I'm but, not. <laughs> I'm just making sure but, I don't skip anything. But I woke up on ocean and took Hawthorne down other way, but yeah, 
I woke up on Hawthorne and took Ocean down, mm -hmm. that would be... I woke up in Hawthorne, mm -hmm. meaning Hawthorne Heights, mm -hmm. and took Ocean down, meaning Ocean Avenue, mm -hmm. the uh, yellow card song. Yes. Right? So, two beautiful references in one small sentence. Um, to the fairgrounds to see everyone, you know, so beautiful, I drowned in the waves, with the haircuts and spin kicks and jumps. Self-explanatory. <laughs> uh, you know? Uh, like... It's like, I, I just think the idea of going to see this fucking, like, circus-like spectacle and being like, oh, you should have seen the spin kicks, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. as opposed to, like, anything that has even the remotest thing to do with with music. And it's like, I'm not trying to be precious about music. It's like, fucking dancing is an art, too. I guess. I get it. But it's mm -hmm. just a stupid one to me. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I mean, if you're a good dancer, that's one thing. But if you're just like wearing like white jeans and kicking over your head while you fucking bellow like a cookie monster or something, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not really the same thing as like being J-Lo, uh, who I respect a lot. Almost as much as I respect Tom Cruise mm -hmm. and, and Kanye. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, I got my bottled water and my nachos and it came in at under 20 bucks. Is clearly a reference to when Marcus was our merch guy when we got kicked off the Warp Tour mm -hmm. and the water was $5 in 2000. Right. Which, I can't explain enough how outrageous that was at the time. Yeah. And and it was like 120 degrees. And Marcus has no sweat glands. He has ectodermal dysplasia. And uh, so he, I, I've told this story before yeah, a million yeah. times in a million places, but he was like, I have to leave or I'm going to die. And so that's that reference, right? Um, and, you know, it's funny because it's aged kind of poorly because now – Nachos, water, and a bottle of water. Twenty bucks. Yeah, not bad. Not it bad at the ravine. Seem terrible. <laughs> uh huh. You know, um, it's just like I filled up my car and it cost me over a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's like oh, that's really telling about your the inflation and stuff. Um, but anyway, and then I got my, the bad taste in the back of my mouth for my time on the back of the bus. Is obviously about all the raping. Uh, <laughs> So, damn, I didn't realize that, but really, I thought that was the most obvious line in the whole thing. I guess when you think of it like a certain way for as long as I have, you don't really like go back and say, oh, maybe that's what it's about. Because my when I heard it, I was just like, oh, yeah, the tour bus. He hated it. Yeah, no, no, no. It's about going to the show <sighs> and fucking buying some nachos and some water bottles and then having the bad taste in the back of your mouth from your time on the back of the bus. Mm. Uh. <laughs> I mean, the ideals are intact. It's the best that they can do. <laughs> well, you know, the, the whole thing is like, uh, I remember when we were on that tour and, uh, and I was talking to people um, who like, I don't want to like fucking throw anyone under the bus uh get it because we're still talking about the bus okay. mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but uh but like i don't know you know 
I'd be like, what is the fucking appeal of this fucking nonsense ass tour? Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, are you kidding me? We get paid the same amount we do to play like a headlining show. We play for half an hour. We show up. All our friends are here, you know, and like, and uh, like, you know, we wake up on our bus. We come down. Here's our buddies. We play for half an hour. We we make the same money we would. And it's like, that's appealing. I get that. That is very appealing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as I asked these questions and then I would press, it would be like, you know, oh, it's summer vacation. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it, you know, it's it's cheap and that, you know, it's it's true. Well, the ideals are intact. Okay, well, it's the best we can do. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. it, like that that is just like a litany of the excuses that people would give me. Right. As it descends, as it's like you pop holes in this whole thing. Yeah, everybody's like, "Oh, well, sure, of course I would love to, you know, I'd love for it to not come on these terms, but these are the terms as they are." So, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's just we continue and- to like find situations that are like that in music. Yeah, and it, it, and it's like uh, it's like I don't really give a shit if you have to work half as hard to get your paycheck. Like this is kind of destroying a whole economy, which is like sort of the next part of this verse or whatever. Which you know, Warped Tour changed so much that it, it like by the time it. Uh, disintegrated or whatever, dissolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, this song was no longer totally relevant mm-hmm. to what it had become. Um, but like in the beginning, when it was all the big punk bands, uh, gosh, this is such a tired story. I feel like bad even sub- subjecting anyone to it. But uh, it was like it used to be. They're like, you know, what? No effects, anti-flag, hot water music, bouncing souls, alkali trio, Pennywise. Uh, would go on summer tours. Each of those bands would take three smaller bands, mm-hmm. right? Um, that they would play local clubs all around the United States. Now they're all on the Warp Tour, and if you're going to be one of the small bands, you'd have to tour by yourself up against the Warp Tour, which sucks ass. Mm-hmm. Or go on the Warp Tour in a van, which let me tell you, sucks even more ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. You know, as a result, what? The clubs don't get shows. Bands don't get to play. You know, bands don't get to perform for an audience. There's no, like, nurturing of new talent. There's no uh, strengthening of like, any, like, individual scenes. And it all happens in this fucking, like, a band shell. Like, in a Tinley Park fucking parking lot. It's mm-hmm. like, I thought we started punk rock to get out of the band shells and seeing bands from, like, yeah. 10,000 feet away. Oh, turns out that's the ultimate manifestation of punk rock. It's just like going right back to seeing the Eagles, you know? But instead of the Eagles, it's fucking uh, Under Oath. Uh, no, uh-huh. thank uh-huh. you. You know, and <laughs> playing, by the way, a half hour set for their full fee. Yeah. So please, you know, enjoy this and your fucking $20 nachos and all this. It's just like. It's kind of infuriating, but like, but that's that's the whole thing. It's like you know, you turned into your own enemy. Which is like you're you you became the thing that punk rock was supposed to be rebelling against, mm-hmm. 
And I don't even think you're selling out. It's just like you, you dictate the entire economy by doing this. Yeah. Like it. And uh, yeah. Oh, and it's Ryan Hennessy, Neil's brother playing the guitar solo there. Yeah. He is ripping on this. He's an amazing shredder. And um, he's a really cool, smart guy. And people have, I've seen conversations like this happen with him. And I've also, Neil has like reiterated some of these to me where he's like, people are like, you know, like you're such a good guitar player. Why aren't you in a band? And he's like, that shit's not for me. I like playing the guitar. I don't want to be in a band. Mm-hmm. I've got a nice job. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very comfortable with this. And it's like, and people just don't fucking get it, man. You know, yeah. they're like, what do you mean? Come on. You know, like you're six ten. Of course you should play basketball. Right. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, it's so funny. Every it's all, it's all binaries. It's all fucking binaries. Yeah. It's like why yeah. why yeah. wouldn't you want to be on this um, on this tour where you get paid to do less? Yeah, exactly. And and uh, and yeah. What's funny is like uh, at the Jack from Titanic level that we were at on the tour. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fucking, you you get paid less to do more. Um, mm. At the Rose level, you get paid more to do less. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think when we were on Warped Tour, we were making $100 a day. Jesus Christ. We were doing like nine-hour drives. 150 maybe. Uh-huh. We were doing like nine-hour drives every night. No hospitality of any kind. Well, I guess we got the catering. Um. But no place to sit, you know? It's like, I mean, whatever. I'm not trying to sit here and cry about, like, the fact that I was uh, able to play a show or whatever. But it's like, after, like, nine hours in a van in the hot summer, and then you get out, and it's like, oh, here you are at the uh, rodeo grounds, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just, like, dust and heat. And, oh, no, heavens no. There's no place to sit. There's no overhang of shade no you'll just sit here and bake (laughs) on the asphalt on the asphalt until it's time for you to play for half an hour and when we were on that tour i i think i told you like the sound guy i was like can i get some more vocals from the monitor the guy's like no (laughs) (laughs) so like the whole thing was just ass and then it's like rancid's playing right there and i'm like oh yeah no you know who i'd watch the lawrence arms <laughs> with this like fucking dipshit sound guy that makes us sound like we're like being pumped through uh fucking megaphone filled with pudding from under the sea uh rather than uh rancid over here sounds <laughs> amazing and is at the top of their powers you know so if you want you can watch 15 minutes of us and 15 minutes of them more bang for your buck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't know. The whole thing was real pig fuck. But yeah, I mean, I'd see like, this was before we knew anyone, you know, I'd see like, uh, I think maybe less than Jake was on that t- 
to her for a second. So every once in a while, I get to go back and like, it's like, oh look, there's Fat Mike over there, mm-hmm. you know, or like, or, or like. Maybe I knew Mike by then. I don't think he was on that tour, though, because I would have hung out on a lot more buses and probably been a lot less angry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no, that would have been that would have been the next year that we met Mike. Um, it, I don't I don't fucking know. So know. time time is not my uh, strong suit. Um, these thieves. In their, I think this is like this is where the song like ascends even further for me. Is just say just yeah, saying well, it plainly. Well, the thing is, like uh, this was the line in the sand against everybody mm-hmm. to fucking doubt it us. <laughs> you know, like for greatest story, it's like ah, oh, you know what? I'm not gonna fucking listen to you like fucking SoCal tastemaker motherfuckers. Like, it, you know what? I don't care about you. I don't care about your tour. I don't care how much fucking money you make for doing half your job. You guys are just a bunch of fucking bros. And uh, that's why we're the Lawrence Arms. And we're not you, mm-hmm. you know? And like, uh, and then, you know, when I say fuck the man, it's what I, I mean, that line is very obviously self-explanatory, but... It was. It's just like furthering the idea that it's like it, it's we're we're not trying to be part of any of this. We just you know no gods, no masters, man. You know, like mm-hmm. to to use a use a punk term, uh, like it's like I don't I don't care who you are. You know, you're fucking telling me what to do. You're fucking undermining the system for your own personal gain. Uh, you're exploiting labor, whatever the fuck it is. Uh, you you have a underage sex ring, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, it's bizarre how much this stuff all lines up. Um, but, uh, and, you know, listen, I'm not trying to cast any aspersions. I'm sure, no one's ever been assaulted on the warp tour, uh, to my knowledge. Um, so, you know, I, uh, you know, allegedly, no, I, I don't even use the word allegedly there. I, I'm not, I'm no big city lawyer, <laughs> Tim. Um, there's something but, too about the, just the flip flops and the bro mm-hmm. attitudes. It's like, it, it is California the way that you, the way that you pointed out, but it's just that image alone is just like, that's not what we are. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Uh-huh. Interesting shoes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what did you, are, we're, we're going to high five again? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, no, please take, take my money and my soul. Um, but you know, and, and this song is probably a little meaner to the warp tour than it deserves to, than the warp tour even deserves because a lot of it has everything to do with those tours that we were on of warp tour type bands. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of like my angst f- fueled by that. Um, there's a lot of, uh, 
probably I've never really considered it before. Probably angst about you know the reception of greatest story, um, and I mean obviously the warp tour itself uh, mm-hmm. plays a role in all of that and became a, a sort of just an easy lightning rod in which to um, bundle like all these frustrations yeah. that you're having. And, and, uh, and also not for nothing, we were not the best band on the warp tour. We were not a great band then, mm-hmm. you know, but by the time we recorded this song, we would have been the best band on that warp tour. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so that to me was like sort of another thing. It's like, I, I don't need to fuck bullet for my Valentine. Seriously. Like this uh-huh. is your fucking punk rock festival. This guy's wearing pantyhose over his whole body. I mean, which is fine. Yeah. I got nothing against wearing pantyhose over your whole body, but, uh, I don't know. It just seemed very deadly serious and stupid. I don't know. The, the whole thing. But fucking. Uh, but yeah. So. Um, what What's what's next? Uh, what did I say? Fuck this man, Kevin or that one. That? Which. This Kevin or that one. Was just like. Um, oh my God. He just came out. And I mean, you're coming out and saying it all anyway. Even. But Tim, I'd like to posit, posit this question to you. Do you know what that means? This Kevin or that one? I always read it as Kevin Lyman from the Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know who the other one is. I felt like it was Kevin and then like all of his friends who could probably be named Kevin. No offense to any Kevins out there who are listening. We know that you're on our side. Oh, you're going to be so disappointed in yourself and also excited it's kevin costner (laughs) (laughs) they have one of these at his casino yeah just uh no it's just like (laughs) yeah this kevin or that one it all seems the same Exploit the avenues, fix all the games, right? Like, so it's. I was it's right. The exploitation all along. of mm-hmm. <laughs> exploitation of workers, and it's um, yeah, just like the the fleecing of people for money, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I love and it. Then, <laughs> And then the the end is just like more, you know, just sort of a poetic leaving of things. You know, mm-hmm. like there's there's not there's not a lot of like depth to the whole thing, except for when I go motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> which is very important. I love it, you know, and it's funny too to consider the fact that it's you're on this tour in the year two thousand. This is a record that comes out in 2006, and it's like you collect all of the energy of your band becoming as fucking good as you did, and also like everything that was bad about the Warp Tour then was just like 
seemingly at an even more heightened level when you think about the bands that were on it because the guy went even past afi and like victory records and all of this shit that was so hot in the mid 2000s and like being passed off under the umbrella of punk and you're like nope well you know it's funny because like uh when when we first you know did the warp tour and the resultant uh parting of ways or whatever you want to say I got so much shit from people that are like, you don't fuck, you you think you're fucking punk rock, fuck you, you know, mm-hmm. like just getting like hate mail and all sorts of shit for many years, and then this song came out and it was like, oh man, yeah, this dude's been saying this forever. I've <laughs> always been on this dude's side, you know, like, and uh, listen. The inability to change your mind or be convinced by something is a sign of total weakness. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it's a sign of strength. Like people think that like sticking to your beliefs is uh, like a key element in foundational um, good humanism, I guess, for lack of a better term. But the truth is, if you can't be convinced and if you're unbending in your ideals you're probably a fucking asshole uh you're definitely share a similarity with like say the nazis uh you know uh, <laughs> like uh and so i'm not trying to motherfuck anybody that you know sent me a fucking hate mail because i hated the warp tour and then said no oh, this motherfucker's right on you know in fact good on you thank you thank you for fuck coming around you know of course couldn't have done it alone. <laughs> I needed the warp tour. <laughs> yeah. But, Who else are you going to get mad at? I mean, come on. There was nothing to yeah. be mad about in the year 2005. That's true. It's true. I think um, what what was always so fucking dope about this statement was the fact that you went your own way and where you end up is with this record that I think marks the next 10 years of punk that follows. And I think it also retroactively, it makes the one that comes before it make sense. And then suddenly, I mean, this is the point where when this record comes out, you're the best band in Chicago. You're the best punk rock band in Chicago uh, for the next six, seven years. Um, and there were a lot of very, very good punk bands in Chicago uh, during that time period. But it was just like, yeah. Suddenly it just was like so fucking rock solid. Fact. I remember before this record came out, we went and played unannounced at a methadone show i think mm-hmm. um in uh at the bottom lounge the old bottom lounge mm-hmm. the underground one i love that bottom um, lounge yeah it was great um i think we might have been billed as the cornish gay men but uh <laughs> uh which was our like secret uh moniker 
for <laughs> when we play unannounced shows, mm-hmm. but we might have just just showed up and we played like we came on stage. We played like uh, it was like Great Lakes, Recover, uh, Cut It Up, Lose Your Illusion, Record Player, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, just like in and out. And I just remember, like, we we came up, we played, we played recover, and then this kid goes, "Holy shit!" <laughs> before like uh, anybody could even like applaud or anything. Uh-huh. And then I was like, "All right, we're on to something here. This is good." Like that was that was like the true moment of like knowing that we were doing the right thing. Well, we'll get into it next week. We'll do track by track. Maybe we'll reach the end of the record, but who knows? I mean, we just devoted uh, a good half an hour to a song that technically isn't on the record, so we'll see. We'll see what yeah, happens. But also, that one's got the that's that one's packed full of the most bullshit. Oh, you know the one thing I didn't mention about that song, by the way, hmm. is that the original version, which appears on "We Are the Champions of the World," uh-huh. it was written to sound like a fucking warp tour song. That's why it's like. <laughs> like the drums you know it was supposed to sound like formalistically like a warp tour mm-hmm. song so that kind of got lost in the shuffle when we started doing the country version and went oh this is really cool yeah <laughs> yeah um hell yeah so we're going to talk about this record next week uh we have a patreon patreon.com slash better sandwich We've got... Go listen to Rob Kellenberger, Sam Russo, Kyle Kinane, and other guests. (laughs) Also got an upcoming episode about the Fireside Bowl. It's a little little makeup for missing out on last week. We we made it up to our patrons uh, over at Better Sandwich, patreon.com slash better sandwich. We will be back here on the feed as per usual next week with Oh Calcutta Part 2 and we uh, look forward to it. We'll see you then. Thanks, brothers. Thanks, everybody. Fuck you, what the day